Hi everyone, welcome to the Good Health Cafe. I hope you've got your warm beverage in hand. Today we'll be chatting with a registered nurse in the U.S. who will talk to us about her journey into healthcare and give us some tips on how to advocate for ourselves. Okay, let's jump right into the episode. Hi everyone, my guest today is Miss Kristen James. Kristen, could you please introduce yourself to the audience? Yes. Hi, I'm happy to be here. My name is Kristen. Um, I'm a registered nurse. I'm originally from New Jersey, um, born in Brooklyn, raised in Jersey. I currently live in Austin, Texas. Um, I've traveled a lot in my profession. Um, Nursing was my second career, actually. Um, And I've been in Nashville, San Antonio, and now working in Austin as an RN float. Um, working in a couple different clinics and the hospital occasionally um, with the pediatric population. So you mentioned that nursing was your second career. What made you decide to go into nursing? So when I went to undergrad, I went to Temple University in Philadelphia. I was kind of trying to figure out what I wanted to do. Um, I feel like with med school, there's a lot of people who go into it and they think it's going to be this cakewalk. And for me, I realized that I like flexibility and I'm a little bit flighty. So (laughs) I did a research program and my mentor suggested that I look into nursing because it had clinical aspects and I could also get a PhD. So senior year, I um, switched my major to human biology and anthropology so I could be more of um, an allied health adjacent um, student. And that way I got a lot of the classes necessary for my accelerated bachelor's of science in nursing out the way while still graduating on time. And also I got to take some cool classes that I felt like related a little more to my personality, which alludes to why I like nursing, such as like sociology and um, determinants of health and just a lot, and also um, a woman's um, hormone study class. So I felt like a lot of the the courses in that major helped me in nursing school and also with my patient population. Um, So that's how I got into the profession. My accelerated program was about a year and a half. It was extremely difficult. Um, I just drank a lot of coffee and (laughs) charged through, but it worked out and yeah, that was it. And then I started off in San Antonio and Periop. I worked in the OR, pre-op, same-day surgery, and then I moved to Austin in September, and I've been working um, at a pediatric hospital and clinic. Wow, interesting. You mentioned a few words that I'm not sure our audience would know the meaning of. Could you please tell us what peri-op is and what it means to be an RN float? Yes, of course. So um, perioperative work is anything that is basically with surgery or surgery adjacent. So periop encompass pre-op, the OR, the operating room, and then same-day surgery. Um, And I worked in all three. Two of same-day surgery and pre-op were in the same unit, and then the OR was a separate one. And I worked in all of them when I was there. And then RN float. So it's actually a pretty cool position for flighty people um, and <laughs> people who want to try different things. Essentially, the hospital decides how they need to use you. I primarily work in the clinics, but I could be floated to the hospital um, 
And currently I'm actually doing COVID triage from home. So I triage referrals um, based on the patient's acuity and their symptoms. So basically it just means that I can be pulled in different directions. So you kind of learn a little bit of everything. Of all the units that you've worked in, do you have a favorite? Um, yes. So I would say with same day surgery pre-op, I really loved the team and I liked that. I felt like the patient's appreciated my care because a lot of times I feel like in healthcare, there are a lot of different personalities and there are a lot of different units and you kind of have to find what works for you. Let's say you don't really like talking with people. The OR is a great place. For me, I want to talk to the patients. So (laughs) that wasn't ideal. Um, I did it, but it it wasn't, it wasn't really um, kind of my forte. And so I did like the team I had with pre-op and same day surgery. The hours were a little bit off, but I did like it. And then I especially liked, I think my top um, place that I worked at as a nurse was adolescent medicine. Um, Just because I feel like at that age, they can speak to you about things. Their parents don't have to be in the room. So they're pretty transparent, but they're also open and they're in a space where they're still educating themselves, of course. So um, they're they're able to absorb new information that you give them and you can kind of reason with them. Um, so I did like that. Something I did forget to mention is before I became a nurse, I was a tech, um, so basically like a patient care technician and also a um, secretary for a hospital. And those were cool experiences as well, being able to see the system from different angles. So for adolescent medicine, Do you have any recommendations for adolescents who may not want to go to the doctor or who feel nervous about opening up when they go to the clinic because they're thinking, oh, they're going to judge me or what if they tell my mother? Yes. Okay. So a couple of things. Um, There's probably nothing that you can say that we haven't heard. Um, With that age group, they're very experimental. depending on the parenting style of their, their family members, some people may be a little more nervous to relate things. And so a lot of healthcare um, providers are able to kind of adjust their communication techniques to allow the patient to feel comfortable enough to understand that what they relate to them will be kept private. Um, we do do um, sexually transmitted infection testing. And so, for example, if you're over the age of 16, um, we're not allowed to relay that to your parents um, without your permission. And we usually don't, um, even if you're under 16, I always try to get the patient on the phone um, because I'd like that initial conversation to be with the patient. Now, of course, if you're under 16, you probably can't drive yourself to the clinic. And so call back and check up and ask, you know, you get the medication. And at least that way you can now be in the role of relaying that to your parent in the way that you feel comfortable. Um, but the providers are there to look out for you. And so I know a lot of people hold things back out of embarrassment, but there's really not much that has not been seen or heard before. That shouldn't be a concern. Wow. I bet you must hear a lot of interesting stories. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) You mentioned COVID triage. Now that's interesting. Because I think some people, or actually I've heard, that some people are afraid to go to the doctor. They might be sick with something or the other, but they don't want to go to the doctor or the hospital because they're afraid of getting COVID while they're there. 
Do you think that's a fair concern? Should people still be coming out to get checked if they need to be checked? So, yes. Um, I understand the concerns. They are valid in the sense that hospitals are not clean places, even though we do have staff that tries to keep the integrity of the spaces. They're not clean. Um, And so a lot of times what has been happening, and we can kind of get into that as well in terms of all the changes with um, COVID regulations, people have been waiting either too long or they've been coming in too early. Something else we've noticed is that I've had a couple of patients who have had all the COVID symptoms, fever, rash, fatigue, um, and they've gotten tested two, three times and still show up negative. So it's a very difficult space, but a lot of the concern that we've noticed and one of the main concerns is um, respiratory function and also the fact that a lot of patients are developing clots um, because it is um, instigating those inflammatory factors in the body. And so those clots travel from the legs to the lungs. And then we see a lot of that going on in patients or it's, um, creating situations where your body and and your lungs are basically suffocating in their own mucus and fluids. And so that's where we definitely would like patients to come in, but it does bring the question of at what point are you waiting too long? Because a lot of patients are coming in by the time it's too late, and then they're on a ventilator. Um, it's also difficult, especially, you know, I know you're in Canada, but here, a lot of people in health insurance, um, they're the providers for their family. I know a couple of people who, you know, family, friends, um, they said that they had COVID and they have to keep working. So, yeah, it's very difficult, but I do think that now what's been great to streamline and be, um, kind of help to assess the acuity of the situation are the um, hotlines that allow you to assess your symptoms and to assess where you are in, in terms of your progress. And at that point, they can transition you to an urgent care or an ER if necessary, or just with a primary care who can set you up with some you know, medications, steroids, things that can help to kind of settle you down while you quarantine at home. Nice. Thank you so much. You know that something we want to do with this podcast is help patients understand healthcare a bit more, be more informed about things related to their health. Is there anything that you think patients should know? For example, based on patients you've interacted with in the past, Are there any popular misconceptions that make you think, oh, people really need to know that this is not the case? Or people need to know that they should be more proactive when it comes to this or that, or they should be asking more questions when it comes to X or Y. Does anything come to mind? Yes, um, a couple of things. So I feel that with healthcare, something that I'm going to say, and I'll be transparent in this, People put a lot of trust into their providers, into the staff. Um, What needs to be understood is that patients know their body the best. You know if something feels off and the way one person's pain presents is not the way another person's pain presents. Um, People could have the same condition and one person could be feeling fine and the other person could be tanking. Um, And so with that being said, there is more onus on the patient if you want the best health outcomes, it would behoove you 
to know a little bit about the system and at the very least know a bit about your body. Systems have cracks in them. Um, And I say this to say, of course, we have to have trust in our providers and our staff. Um, You know, if you're working in the hospital, uh, for the most part, at the end of the day, you're supposed to pass certain competencies. However, systems fail. And so everyone doesn't know everything. Nobody's Google or a robot. If you feel that something is going on with your body and you're not certain whether to bring it up, always advocate for yourself. Um, For example, when I worked in pre-op and same-day surgery, there were a lot of patients. (laughs) We had to get their full history of medication because at the end of the day, there are certain medications that um, increase bleeding. And if they're going into surgery, that's a problem because that affects their ability to clot and they could bleed out depending on what they're opening. Well, I had a lot of patients with multiple um, comorbidities um, and conditions who had no idea what medications they took. And what did they say? Oh, hi, Mr. Johnson. Um, you know, what are you taking? I don't know. My wife has the list. Well, where's your wife? I think she's in the lobby, but she might have gone to get coffee before I went back. And I'm like, is there anything you can tell me about the medication? No, I- I'm not really sure. Just ask my wife. The problem is he's anxious. Um, He's built this dependency on his wife to know, you know, his own medical history. And the scary part about that is Mr. Johnson usually seemed like he had a nice wife, but lest the day come where he's married to someone who doesn't have the best intentions for him, (laughs) one wrong pill or one missing pill could be the end of his life. And you don't want to give anybody that much autonomy over your own health and body. Um, So I definitely think patients trusting their gut with things advocating for themselves and being on top of their medical history are ways in which they can streamline processes and, and advocate for themselves and get the best care um, possible. Wow. That's awesome. So beautifully said. And that's definitely a lot of what we hope to be sharing going forward. And I know that you'll be a recurring guest to come back and share even more knowledge. I would love to. You've told us a lot so far, Kristen. You've done periop, RN float, adolescent health. What do you think is next for you? Um, I really love women and children. That's my passion in healthcare since since I've begun. Um, since I really was a child, um, and also advocating for marginalized communities. Um, I hope that I can get my foot into global health at a point um, sooner than later. And I also see a lot of travel nurses doing amazing things. And I think that's a great way to meet different people in the country, especially for flighty people like me. It's perfect because you can try new things and be of help to a hospital system and also make new friends um, while still being very autonomous with your schedule because I know a travel nurse for example she works you know nine months out of the year and she takes three off and travels the world so she's traveling within the country and then she's traveling the world and also as a travel nurse you could go to different countries you know on assignments too so there's a lot of opportunity with that so hopefully that's where I'll be next wow travel nursing that sounds great I should look into that (laughs) I have to go back to nursing school, but three months to do whatever you want. That sounds great. Right. 
it's, it sounds like a dream. I want to go back and ask you a bit more about advocating for yourself. Do you have any examples of how to do that? For instance, I think there may be a fear that if I speak up and say, or if I say, oh, I don't think something's right here or something's just off about the way this nurse is responding to me, that there will be some sort of backlash. Like, oh, she's a trouble patient. Don't deal with her. Is that a fair concern? Is that allowed? Here's the thing. Um, There is a level of professionalism that has to be kept. Even if that's being thought, it doesn't matter because this is the reason the professions are often esteemed in healthcare is because these are people's lives. So if you feel that you are talking to a nurse and you're voicing your concerns and something doesn't feel right, they take your vitals, everything looks okay. Um, Because usually I think this is where people get caught up. They state a concern and then the person comes in with, um, point of care, they do a glucose test, they um, take vitals, they're like, you look fine, you're okay. And then the person starts to lose confidence. The patient feels like, you know what, they're the healthcare provider, they're the healthcare professional. What am I talking about? I think that's where it happens. It's not always the initial question. However, there's a lot of things that cannot be assessed without an x-ray, without a CAT scan, um, without lab work. And so what you can do a charge nurse is a very good resource. It's a second opinion, a second set of eyes. Charge nurses are usually very experienced. Um, they usually have very good instincts. And so you can always say, may I please speak to the charge nurse? Sometimes what's going to happen is your assigned nurse is going to say, okay, maybe let me take a second look at this. Or can you explain what's going on? Maybe I can communicate with the physician. But if you ask for the charge nurse, um, that's an option. You can also ask for the healthcare provider, um, the doctor, the nurse practitioner, the PA. If something is not feeling right, oftentimes what I could even say here, and (laughs) I hope my colleagues don't get upset with this, but Google, hey, I'm having um, chest pain. You're going to see diagnostic tests, chest x-ray, see if there's a clot. Is it okay if I asked for an x-ray? Can you speak to the provider about this? This would soothe me. I'm aware of the the additional cost. I feel like this is something I'd like to advocate for myself. Um, Because I think what happens is a lot of times patients don't feel confident that they know enough. They feel like these are the professionals and this is what they do. And if they're telling me I'm fine and my blood pressure looks okay, then I'm good. And Healthcare is so interesting because sometimes you really never know. And sometimes people have all the right diagnostic tests and vitals and they're fine in that aspect on paper and then they're crashing. So definitely have confidence in yourself and always speak up about things. There have been instances where items have been left in people after surgery um, saying I'm in pain or you know, whatnot. And it's like, you know, you have to advocate for yourself, especially when with an instance like that, it's a foreign object. So it's not going to display like a regular condition or regular um, diagnosis because it's probably in a location that doesn't make sense for you to have that sort of pain, but you have to advocate for yourself, you know? So it's not so much like I have an inflamed gallbladder. It's 
a different type of pain. And so if you relay those symptoms, the provider may be like, what do you mean? But if you say, hey, I just had surgery. And after the surgery, I've been having this stabbing pain, you know, at the right side of my back, they may say, that's weird. What kind of surgery did you have? And then they may put two and two together. And because you advocated for yourself, you were able to, to keep up your health and well-being. Thank you. I quite enjoyed our conversation today, Kristen. Thank you for being on the podcast. Yeah, same. Do you have any parting words for the audience? Um, I enjoyed being here today and never be afraid to advocate for yourself. Um, it's important. You know yourself the best and your healthcare team is there to work with you and to help you to advocate for yourself as well. Um, something that we even learned in our courses um, and our training is listening to the patient and how to communicate properly because you're with your body every day. So you know if something's off and if you don't feel like your problem is being alleviated, then don't be afraid to go up the chain of command. I like that. That's awesome. So beautifully said. Thanks. And definitely a lot of what we hope to cover going forward. And I know that you'll be a recurring guest to share even more of your knowledge. My concern and something that makes me nervous is that they're going to be offended. Nurse Kristen looked at me and I felt like something was wrong. So I wanted to ask for a higher up. And then she's going to think, well, what? Don't you trust me? Don't you think I know what I'm doing? But if you make enough think about it, they're going to have to figure it out. And that's more important than their opinions or their attitude. (laughs) That's true. Because this is life and death, as you say. Exactly. Well, thanks again. Of course. I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Kristen as much as I did. I loved her energy and honesty. She gave us so many great insights. Some of my favorite takeaways were know your medication list for yourself, trust your gut, and be honest with your providers. They've heard it all before. Please join us next time and I look forward to seeing you again in the cafe soon. Bye.